right, this is a new role for me, so you guys pay attention, okay? Yeah, right. All right. I expect 100% of your attention. Now, I'm just imitating my second grade teacher at Sunday school back at St. John Vianney, not St. John the Baptist Church in Kalihi Valley, where on Sundays we would make sweet bread in the oven that was out in the back. But if you went to class and you didn't behave, the nun would hit you with the ruler. Yep. You know? And, <laughs> and so, uh, I got, you know, this finger was never the same. <laughs> okay. All right, our, our speaker is one of our class favorites. You know, uh, sitting with Don McNew and Bill Griffin, we were going over, okay, who's one of the class? We, we tried to, I tried to systemize everything, right? We systemized, we got an Excel, we got a spreadsheet, we got, you know, everything is all done, you know, digitally, da 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 And we said, yeah, but let's make an A-list of the class favorites, you know, and who's the favorites of the class, you know, that love speakers and teachers and all that stuff. And I got to tell you, after we were done, I was happy, Elated, but disappointed. I didn't make the A-list. <laughs> but a gentleman who made the A-list, and we're very happy to have him back again. Many of you enjoy his... I enjoy it, uh, because a lot of his childhood brings back great memories of my childhood. But, you know, he's been a member here at RUMC since 1997. Imagine, previous decade member. That's what I call him, previous member decade. This whole class is previous member decade. He's a member of the Rejoice Sunday School class, but spend, you notice he spends more time here probably, okay? Uh, he, he's on the road. He travels a lot, okay? And get this, just in this year alone, he has slept in hotel rooms 150 times. Imagine that. Wow. Imagine the frequent flyer miles. <laughs> Now, when he's not on the road, he spends his time with his wife, Kathleen, and his dog, Nicholas. You notice he's got that in the proper order, okay? And I love the fact that he's also a genealogist. You know, one of those guys that studies whose aunt was your cousin's brother's mother, uncle? And, uh, but he is great, and we're happy to have him back. Please give him a warm aloha. Scott, please come on up. Well, thanks for having me this morning. Uh, this may be a little bit of a, of a repeat for some of y'all. Um, we won't remember. I, I was, <laughs> you know, that's what Don said. When we were talking about what to talk about, I said, you know, I've done this lesson for y'all before. He's like, no, no, go ahead. This is a good one, and, and we need to hear things more than once. And, and, you know, it's like, I think that's part of the message here this morning about parables is you've got to hear them more than once. They're not the same every time. So we're going to talk about Jesus' parables this week and next week. We're going to kind of look at it. Um, and, and yeah, I've been on the road way too much. I, Kathleen and I talk about it, and we'll say that, you know, 100 nights a year is high but doable, right? But 150 in nine months is way too much, way too much. And the frequent flyer miles, so my stupid little brother, he'll go, he'll, he has it easy. Like, he'll go to Taipei twice and Singapore once, you know, and he's done. He's done. I go to Tampa 500 times. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and I'm heading out to Orlando this evening, and then tomorrow night I have to go from Orlando to Louisville, so it doesn't even make sense where I go. But um, y'all know Bill Newton? Yeah. yeah. So Bill used to work for Roberto Gusueto when he was at Coke, and he did stuff like negotiate Olympics contracts. So he traveled everywhere. 
And he said, somebody said to him, you ought to write a book about all the places you've been. He said, yeah, I'll call it uh, Conference Rooms of the Great Hotels. Because <laughs> that's all you see. You see the conference rooms. But so I thought we would talk about Jesus' parables and, and how you look at them. And, uh, you know, every time you approach Scripture, for me, it's different. And I think that's an important thing to catch on to. I, I was having a real hard time as I began to prepare for this week, not turning it into how do you approach Scripture and what is Scripture and what role does the Bible have and how do I understand it. And I think I may be forced to turn that into a lesson too, but not for today. So we'll start with a a story that I made up. (laughs) There was once a man who volunteered to serve his nation as a warrior. He served bravely across the seas. But when he came home, both he and the nation had changed, and he fell into hard times. It was hard for him to make friends and to meet his basic needs. But he found a close friend. He found a close friend who stayed by his side through thick and thin. The two of them found themselves with next to nothing. They had no home. They had no job. They had no wealth. They had no idea where their next meal would come from. But there were some kind people who offered the man a warm and dry place to stay, and a hot meal. But they said his best friend wasn't welcome. So rather than abandon his best friend, he remained with his friend. And they worked together to find their food and to find their shelter. And they were happy together. That sounds like a parable to me, right? We'll see. There's a lot of elements of a parable. This is a real bunch of people. This is the homeless guy and his dog, right? Who was his friend? His friend is his dog. And the two of them... They they work on the streets in San Francisco, and this dog is cool, right? So if you're going to give him money, the dog comes over and takes it and brings it back and gives it to his 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 buddy, right? The, now, and, and he's a big old pit bull wearing sunglasses, right? That's that's how they work together, and they look out for each other. But that's kind of a surprising thing when you see, oh, his his friend was was not welcome. We could look at that lots of different ways. Is it is it some kind of a discriminatory thing? What is it that kept the, the people who from being kind to both of them? And when we look at the parables, we'll see that Jesus surprises us over and over. So let's back up. Tell me, what's a parable? A story? Okay, there's lots of stories with messages, though. Earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay, earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But there's lots of those that might not be parables. So... There's a lot of, of, of Jesus' parables tend to have things that we'll see that, that there's certainly a story about something we know about, an earthly story. And he has a meaning, and we also take a meaning, but they're memorable because there's a twist. And the surprise is an important part of them. Now, Scripture says, With many such parables he was speaking the word to them, so far as they were able to hear it, and he did not speak to them without a parable. But he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. And in Matthew, it says basically the same thing because the different gospels will relate these stories and these parables in the same time or in different times in different settings sometimes. Matthew says all these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I'll open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. So this is just a side note. If y'all ever read the New American Standard Translation of the Bible, and you come across text in it that's in small caps, the New American Standard Bible makes a point of any time that the Gospels 
or Paul's letters, anytime the New Testament is quoting the Old Testament, they put it in small caps. That's a handy thing. That's a useful tool as you're reading to see that, right? Um, you know, so Jesus spoke in parables. People would ask him a straightforward question. He'd answer with a story. I think my wife is convinced that I do that because she'll ask me a straightforward question and I'll like mm, work it out, you know? And the reason I do it is because I don't know the answer until I get to the end, right? Like she'll say, what time are you leaving? And I'm like, well, let's see. And I'll have to figure it out, right? But so, so Jesus used parables. And one of the things about these parables that was so important was not just that they contained a message, but there's always something surprising about them. There was something surprising. Okay? Surprising in that the, the friend that was discriminated against was a pit bull. Right? Surprising in lots of different ways that we'll see as we look at some of the parables. Surprising in kind of a, wait, wait, say that again? Kind of way. You know? And this is why it's important, I think, and we'll talk about this as we go along this morning, to place ourselves at Jesus' feet to hear the parables like the people Jesus was talking to. I'll say this over and over today. We have a tendency to approach Scripture as people living in Roswell, in America, in 2019, that are Methodist Christians that have grown up with a whole different perspective and a different understanding of everything than somebody sitting at Jesus' feet in the year 30. Does that mean that we don't hear what Jesus says? No. Does that mean that we have different filters on our ears? Yes. Does that mean that we might be missing something really important that, that it's important for us to hear? Why else do we get more out of Scripture every time we approach it? And as I go back to it each time, I'll get more and more because I've thought more about it and said, what does it really say to me? And it's going to say something different in each place. Does that mean that the way we hear things in 2019 in Roswell is wrong? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, on Sunday mornings, did y'all ever hear day one on WSB? So at seven o'clock in the morning, day one, which is a radio show of kind of mainline Protestant preachers. This morning, there was, there was an Episcopal priest preaching and, and his, he was, he was digging into scripture and he was getting awfully deep. And it was one of those that you can't hear that sermon. You have to read it because you're going to have to go back and back and back. But he said, just in passing, he said, if we assume that there's only one way to understand Jesus' stories always, that we're doing violence to the words. He was talking in particular about the parable of the Pharisee and the publican and about how there's different ways to look at that story and to emphasize different points. Does that mean that, that, that only one of those is right? Well, we, it means that there's a lot of them that are wrong, but it doesn't mean that there's exactly one specific understanding. And this comes down to we approach things through our own interpretation, and we have to listen to the Holy Spirit to find those words, to find the message, to get through our interpretation. Interpretation is a funny thing. Interpretation is going to be driven by our perspective on things. When you say words, different people are going to hear them different ways. There's a, a, a theologian and a philosopher whose name is Padre Gotuma. He's Irish, and, and he, he's worked a lot, he, he did work a lot, during the Troubles in Ireland. And when you ask him where he's from, 
He's careful to say where he's from because he's from Belfast. If he says Belfast, Northern Ireland, that's different than saying Belfast in the north of Ireland. And depending upon the people he's talking to, they're going to hear it as a piece of our country that's been taken away from us. The people in the south will hear it. Or as a part of the United Kingdom, a bigger whole that we're a part of. Okay, the people in the north. So we, we'll say things and we come at it with our own perspective that's going to color and cloud how we look at things. This is going to be driven by the things that are important to us. Our priorities. Mary was talking about the priorities in giving and, and making sure that being sometimes overly cautious to protect ourselves and not necessarily stepping out. That's the kind of a priority that's going to shape how we hear things. If, on the other hand, we decide that we're going to be reckless and all in, that's going to shape how we hear things. And the other thing with this priorities and perspective is that it turns into how we understand the other people with us who are hearing the same message. And we have to be cautious then as we look at the parables, not to judge one another in our in each of our understanding, right? Not to say, oh, well, you're reading that altogether wrong. And, and therefore, you're a bad person, right? There's a big gap between those two, between we don't agree to you're wrong to you're bad. And the parables lead us in, in ways that there are lots of ways to understand them. There's lots of interpretation going on. So y'all can hardly see this. this is a, I think this is a great comic, though. There's um, an Instagram feed called Naked Pastor. It's awesome. It's awesome. Jesus, clearly talking to Pharisees, says the difference between me and you is you use scripture to determine what love is. I use love to determine what scripture means, right? And then the risen Jesus, talking to a bunch of Bible study students, all carrying their Bibles, says the difference between me and you is you use scripture to determine what love means. And I use love to determine what scripture means, right? So we look at the Pharisees and we say, oh, y'all are awful people. You're bad, bad, bad. But look who's in the same spot. Right? And it's of lens. Where is that lens? You know, how do we understand these parables? And all of this is kind of that background of how do we understand the text. Now, a lot of, of the, the, the ideas from, from this week and next come out of two places. One is, is there's two authors that, that I really like in terms of, of getting a fuller understanding of scripture. Amy Jill Levine is a professor at Vanderbilt. She's written a book called Short Stories by Jesus. I, I, um, Melissa and uh, Marion both had her as professor. And Melissa said she is a force to be reckoned with. And I believe it, right? So she's taken this book and made a study out of it, um, a parable study with a really nice video. Our, our Sunday school class is about to do our third Amy Jill Levine, A.J. Levine study. Uh, she did a Lenten study last year, and we're going to do an Advent study this year. She's, she's Jewish. She's Jewish. She teaches New Testament, however. Right? She teaches what? She teaches New Testament. Jewish studies and New Testament at Vanderbilt. And and the the way that 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 scripture is understood is so important to her. Um and it's interesting listening to her, but one of her her big thoughts that comes over and over is is that idea of what did the people sitting at Jesus' feet hear based on them being in year thirty in Israel? In Judah, 
or in the Galilee because the people in Jerusalem heard things differently than the people in the Galilee, right? They had a whole different experience. City people, farmers. Desert people, farming people, fishing people, right? Different places. And so, and, and then the thing that we completely miss is the Jewish tradition, the understanding that, that they would have heard in synagogue from the rabbis who, who relied upon the traditions of, of the Mishnah, the, the rabbinic discussions back and forth that had gone on for centuries that they relied upon, right? How would those people have heard these texts that we hear? Does that mean when we hear them that we're wrong when we interpret them through St. Jerome in the fourth century? No. It means that, 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 both are good and credible and faithful understandings to help us see what's going on. And it's important to hear what Jesus was saying to those people because that's the powerful thing that launched this movement of the Holy Spirit that leads us to this world that we have today. The other is Jim Fleming. And I think most of y'all have been down to the, they've renamed it the Biblical History Center in LaGrange. It used to be called something else. And they've had a bunch of organizational changes. And, and Jim actually is not terribly uh, involved in it these days. He's gone on to do other things. But, but he's written for a long time. And one of his big things is to understand the setting. Okay. He, he spends some time in that Jewish tradition, but he also says, you know, we got to understand the place and, and what it looked like and how that affected people's understanding. The people of the, the, of the city versus the people of a small village versus the people who are farming versus the people who are, who are fishing and, and how that would fit in. Um, and, and so that's, these are all aspects that go into it. Just like when we read it, the aspects that make up our life are different. We're going to approach texts differently than people even in other parts of our country, right? who have different experience. Somebody who's living down in parts of Atlanta, south of I-20, that are tough parts of town, is going to have a different reading of the gospel probably than we do, you know? Does that make either of us wrong? So when we hear scripture each time, we don't hear the same thing, right? Y'all, do y'all hear the same thing every time you read a passage? Is it the same? There's a there's a, a, an Atlanta um, singer named Wendy Bucklew, and she has a piece on her first album called Different Every Time. And it's an instrumental piece. And if you go see her, it's different every time. You know, and it's, but that's, it has themes that run through it and you recognize it, but it's different every time, right? And I think one of the things that, that we can get caught up in is this idea that there is a single, timeless, universal, immutable way to read every single passage. The mystery of faith, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, is immutable and is timeless and is universal, okay? The message that I take today from the so story of the sower and the seeds is going to be different. Again, even this morning as I was reading it, I was, I was thinking about different things than I've ever thought about it before, right? So, so we find things being different. How was it that Jesus' audience heard his stories? And what in the stories, especially these parables, would have been surprising. Lacking that context, we often miss the surprising, right? Something will be surprising to us that they're like, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's regular. That's not interesting, you know? So we have to figure out what would have been surprising. So what's a metaphor? A metaphor, so a metaphor is where you say, when you, when you, when you call something, something that it's not because it exhibits those qualities. Jesus said, 
I am the light of the world. That's a metaphorical explanation. Did he mean he is like Ra, the god of the sun, who rises and shines light? No, he means he is the light. He provides light into our souls. He provides all of creation. He's part of creation from the start. Um, when when we see uh, the scriptures describe God as a rock, God as a mother hen who gathers her chicks under her wing. So then is God a giant big chicken? I don't think so. That would be weird, right? That would be weird. And and the reason I call out metaphor, a metaphor is, we'll see next week, we'll talk about allegory. It's different. A metaphor is where you name something because you're you're providing an idea of its qualities to explain something else, which is different than saying this represents this. It's not an algebraic kind of a thing. So metaphor happens a lot in scripture. So let's take a quick look at the parable of the sowers and the soils. Um, from Mark's gospel, I get very frustrated with the uh, the silly bookmarks in the in the U version Bible because you can't get to them from anywhere. <laughs> okay, so the parable of the sower, and again he began to teach beside the sea. You think that's a throwaway line? That's not a throwaway line. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside him, beside the sea on the land. And he began to teach them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, let anyone with ears listen. So what do you get out of that? Well, okay. And, and you know what? That's not the message that Jesus then says in the next verse, right? But that's, yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with that. So he's, he, he talks about this as a message. And 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 we look at things like like where is it when is it and we want to look deeper into the passage what's the picture that you see as that's in that passage jesus is in the boat he's off the shore he sits down in the boat now number 1 that makes good sense because when you stand up in the boat that's a problem right it's a bigger boat i keep trying to explain this to my dad in the canoe <laughs> we've been canoeing for 40 years he doesn't always still get it. <laughs> Luckily, his knees are getting kind of stiff, and he doesn't want to go canoeing anymore, so there's less chance of getting dumped in the water. But the people are on the hillside. What does this hillside look like? What does the area look like? Okay, rocky like desolate, barren, hot, dusty rocky, or rocky like grassy and rocky, or... All the above. All the above, right? So if we read earlier, this is going on in the Galilee, in the Galilee... It's actually going on kind of close to Chorazim, Chorazim, right? And that's important. We don't know that. We don't know the geography. We don't know the what's... And so we just pass that off. So Jesus' explanation about what he just talked about. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root and endure only for a while. 
Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word. And it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Right? So Jesus gives us an explanation. I think it's important as we read scripture. So, so let me ask. When you're talking to somebody, do you speak in timeless, precise, categorical statements? Why would you think Jesus was always speaking to particular people in timeless, universal, categorical statements? He was, he was speaking often in timeless, universal, categorical meanings, but you have to find the meaning, right? So, so you got to give speakers the same latitude that you give to yourselves. Jesus is talking about grain. And what does he say at the end? Okay, so what, what's the part of the top of the grain called? An ear. What does he say? Those who have ears, let them hear. He's making a joke, right? It's a dad joke, but it's a joke. Right? So, so it's important to, to, to understand that, that Jesus talked to real people like a real person. I had a professor in college. He was in the National Academy of Engineering. And, and he said, always overstate your point by at least double. Malone understands this. Always overstate your point by at least double since your audience is going to devalue it by half. Right? I, I have a bad reputation about overstating things because I know that people are going to do this. Right? And, and that's because I know how they're going to hear me. And I think that there's, there's, that's part of the element of surprise in this story that we see. John Wesley gives us some tools. I'm going to come back around to, the, to this in a second. John Wesley gives us some tools to figuring out how to approach the text. Um, he never actually called it out as the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Albert Outler, who is professor at SMU, really called it that. But, but Wesley does talk about that we're going to use scripture. We're going to use our traditions, and those are the traditions of the church back to the start, okay? Back to the Jewish traditions, even. We're going to use our experience as a community of faith, even more than our individual experiences, and our reason, the gifts of understanding that God has given us. The Book of Discipline says, The living core of the Christian faith was revealed in Scripture, illumined by tradition, vivified by personal experience, and confirmed by reason. Scripture, however, is primary in revealing the word of God so far as it is necessary for our salvation. There's not stuff that we need to know to be saved found somewhere else. There's not some secret hidden outside of Scripture. Scripture will help us to know Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, right? So it's not like the Gnostics and having secret knowledge. But we have to figure out how to understand what Scripture says to us. So we look at what does the text really say? What do the words say? We, you know, if you look at different translations, there's a whole nother world of getting into a rat hole. Okay, translations. Okay, it was spoken in Aramaic, written down in Greek, Greek of the first century, often by non-native Aramaic speakers, a hundred years after it was said, and it's been translated nine million times in the intervening time. But... I have to believe that the message transmitted to us in Scripture is the message that God wants us to have. Otherwise, we're in a mess, right? That doesn't mean that, it's, that, that, that we're always getting the full flavor. So we have to look at what's the setting of the lesson, okay? 
Where are they when Jesus is sharing this lesson? Jesus uses aspects of what he's sitting around. He's saying, look at this. When the little kids came, he's saying, look at these kids, right? He wasn't sitting in the temple with a bunch of not kids, right? What's the setting of the story? Where is the story actually taking place? Because all of these go into Jesus' meaning that he's passing along. So the sower, the fields returning 30, 60, 100 fold look like this. No, this is Iowa, <laughs> right? This is Galilee, okay? The surpri- one of the surprising things in this parable, Jesus said that, that the good soil returns a harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold. He was sitting by the Sea of Galilee near the town of Chorazim. If you follow in the scripture, that's where they were at this point. Had we been Jews of the first century, we would have remembered a Chorazim. That's where, at the festival of first fruits, where they bring in the first of the harvest, tradition says it comes from Chorazim because that's where the first harvest is ripe and it's the best and most productive place in the entire nation. So these are people who would have understood this and they would have understood about the good soil. This is the good soil. It's not that. Okay. The rocky soil is not that good. And the paths between it and the thorns and all of these things are people will be completely understanding. But the surprising bit is the biggest and best harvests that were ever seen in Chorazim in that area of the Galilee, which is the best, most productive part of Israel, only put out a harvest of about 30 times. The only way to have a harvest of 60 and 100 fold is a miraculous work of God. That's a surprising thing. The people hearing it are like, oh my goodness, that's, you know, that's, that's hugely more than we would ever be able to harvest, right? And so, so it's, 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 that's the piece of surprise so much over and above that, that element of, of, of amazement and generosity and, and work of the spirit in that happening. We don't necessarily get that unless we dig into it a little more. And so it's important to look at that whole story. In the gospels, the parables get put together not to change Jesus' meaning, but to emphasize a meaning of a group of parables. The parable that immediately follows this one is the story of a lamp under a bushel basket. Well, I used this giant harvest was in my bushel baskets. We go on into the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. So it's a lot of parables about about the growing of seed and grain and and that, that hidden work of the Spirit. In other places, we see groups of parables about the lost coin, right? And the lost sheep, all of these put together. We also sometimes see different gospels rearranging. Do we think that Jesus only ever told a story once? Did you ever reuse a story, Malone? (laughs) I reuse them all the time. You use these stories because they carry a meaning that you need to share. And Jesus is, is... teaching to different people as he as he traveled around he's sharing similar messages tailored to the people he's around so the gospel writers as they're sharing jesus message with different populations tradition says that matthew focused more on the jews luke focused more on the gentiles right so they're going to put jesus message in a way that's best to be accepted by those people to hear it And then I have to look and see, does my interpretation really make sense? 
in light of the, the time and the place and the meaning. And, and we'll look at this in particular next week with respect to allegory. I think allegory is a way that people really will kind of sometimes twist some of the parables. But I think this interpretation side of things and how do I put things into place is so important. How many of y'all took Disciple 1? Okay, a bunch of y'all did. Part of Disciple 1 uses a, a, a study technique called Ignatian. St. Ignatius taught that it's important to immerse yourself into the scene of the text. Place yourself in it so that you can kind of look around and see what did it look like sitting at the feet of Jesus. What am I hearing? What am I seeing? And in Disciple 1, there's a section of Disciple 1 at the end of every lesson that, that they called into the word, I think they called it. it was the last section of every lesson was you take a, a passage and you would go deeper into it. Sometimes the way they approached it was they said, what do your senses tell you about this scene? And I think this is a good way to look at the parables. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell and taste and touch as a part of this scene, as a part of this story to understand what Jesus' message was? The other thing they do in Disciple at this end section is they go through and they ask, four questions. What does the text tell me about God? What does the text tell me about people? What does the text tell me about the relationships between people? And what does the text tell me about the relationship between God and people? Now that first question and the last question are really, really, really hard to separate. Try to look at a text and see what it tells you about the relationship between God and people. That's relatively straightforward. But to say what it tells you about God without couching that in the, in the world of relationships, that's really hard because God is a God of relationship, right? So, so these are important things to dig into. And I think that it's important to, to, as we approach these parables, to say, am I using this text to reinforce something that I already believe? That's not necessarily bad unless I was mistaken, okay? Unless I'm using the text... <laughs> In a way that, that in the broader sense is contrary to, do I use scripture to determine what love means? Or do I lose love to determine what scripture means? If I'm using the text to decide who not to love or how not to love them, right? Then, then I need to think about that. And, and, or, or am I reading a text and hearing it and not feeling challenged each time and not hearing something new? When I looked at the text today about the sower and the seeds... I began to think about, okay, so, so the seed on the path, what does that mean? The path is the way that was well-trod, that was established, that was put in place to, to, it was the main way, okay? It wasn't just God scattered seed and some of it landed on the path. The path was the established way of thinking, maybe, okay? And the rocky places that shot up were the people on the edges of the path, the margins of the path that were looking for something else, you know? So I, I didn't fully form this thought, but it just got me to thinking about it. And I had never thought about that that way before in looking at what, what really constitutes the path and what constitutes the rocky place and what constitutes the thorns and the good soil. We read it and say, well, I'm the good soil, but am I? Am I? How do I go from being a rocky place to good soil? Right? How do I keep the thorns from coming up? So, so we, we don't want to let the text just reinforce something without getting something new. This is another comic that I saw. The pastor's saying, and Jesus said, give away all you have 
to the poor and follow me. And he says, today I'll explain why he didn't really mean that. <laughs> How much of the time do we spend explaining why scripture means what we already believed? Right? Rather than challenging what we believed. And I think that that's important. So as we jump into the parables, next week we're going to look in depth at a couple of parables. This is just a setup to say, here's how we can approach them. So, so I just wanted to end with a dog fighting a lobster with a spoon. Because when you've seen that, there's not much left to see. And there's bound to be a parable in there. But this is an amazing thing. So we'll talk more about parables next week. But now let's, let's close with prayer. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for the time that we have together. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to come together, to be here together, to, to struggle and to work hard and to dig deeply into to your word for us, to place ourselves at your feet, to place ourselves where we can hear what you have to say for us, to hear what you had to say to those people on the hillsides in so long ago, but what you still have to say for us today, say to us today. We thank you for the safety we have in coming together, but we remember today the, the people who a year ago came together in Pittsburgh to worship, were not in safety as the gunman attacked in the synagogue. We thank you for continuing to help them through this long year of, of struggling with your word and for all the ways that people have reached out to them and help us to be willing and able to reach out to people in such desperate and difficult times each day. Be with us as we head into a new week. Keep us safe and help us to continue to grow in our faith with you. Unless we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.